and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bogleman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 511. Woo! Mark's big birthday episode! Oh man, you're gonna love what we got you. I know, I know. <laughs> when you get somebody who who has everything, clearly not this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess maybe if you want to start subtracting, I guess maybe that would work. But like patience and time that you can't get back. But other than that, what are we talking what are we finally talking about? And I say finally as in we felt obligated, not because it was worth worth the journey. But go ahead. To, what are we talking about there? Well, you know, since Mark is continuing his slow plodding march towards the grave, we thought what better relief than a way to to stave off the Reaper and just live eternally as some sort of vampire. So we're going to be taking a look at all of DC versus vampires, specifically issues one through 12. Uh, I, th- I think there actually were a large number of tie-ins that we will be mostly ignoring, except for one that I want to complain about in the middle. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, well, what was the mini series called? Oh God, I don't remember. There was one that was all about Damien and there was like a Harley yeah. Quinn one shot and there was a couple okay. other well, things. Well, yeah, there was the there were two one shots. There was a Hunter's one shot and a Killer's one shot. Yes. And then there was uh there was a mini series that was six issues. I believe that was all in black and white, and it was uh John Constantine and his team trying to set up some kind of uh last human city kind of deal. Okay. Oh, all out war. That's what it was. All right. Well, we've already talked about issues one through four, but that was a year ago. So in case you guys need a refresher, Dan is here to help us out. Yeah. So just just overall. DC versus vampires, number one through 12, written by James Tiny and the fourth and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Otto Schmidt, letters by Tom Napolitano. So for centuries, vampire society has been content to exist in the shadows and mostly stay out of humanity's way. This was the will of their leader, Mary, Queen of Blood, an elder vampire who thought it best not to escalate a full-scale full scale war against the human and metahuman population. Then one day, Mary was found dead. The vampires had a new leader, and the war had already begun. The vampires moved quickly and quietly, doing as much work as possible in secret so that the victory would be assured before their enemy even realized the war had started. The, they began by thinning out the metahuman population. You know, villains tend to disappear off the grid between jobs, making them perfect targets, since it would take time for anyone to realize they were missing. And so they went to work, quietly turning anyone useful into vampires and killing everyone else. 
The only person who realized what was going on was Andrew Bennett, I Vampire, and he tracked Mary's killer to the Hall of Doom, only to find the entire Legion of Doom dead, except for a handful of members who had become vampires. There he managed to escape with a sample of Lex Luthor's blood, which had been altered to be poisonous to vampires. Taking Luthor's advice, Andrew leaves the blood and a note explaining everything at Wayne Manor before heading to the Hall of Justice, believing that if he can warn the heroes, there may still be time to stop what's coming. Upon reaching the Hall, Andrew is met by Green Lantern Hal Jordan and later Zan of the Wonder Twins. He tells them everything and is horrified to learn that Hal has already been turned into a vampire and has been using his ring to block UV rays so that he can still move around during the day. Hal kills both Andrew and Zan, disposing of their bodies, before going back to his task of keeping the heroes in the dark about the war, while occasionally eliminating obstacles in secret. One such obstacle is Barry Allen, the Flash, whose powers make him too dangerous to let live, but is but his unique metabolism would make his hunger insatiable if turned into a vampire, so Hal was ordered to kill him. Batman received Andrew's message and immediately went about trying to determine who is and is not a vampire. He devised a series of tests to clear the rest of the Bat family, and then they began hunting. Seeing that Batman was on their trail, Hal turned Wonder Woman and the two of them called an emergency meeting of the Justice League, where they accused Batman of murdering Barry. A fight broke out between the Justice League and the Bat family, which resulted in most of the heroes either dead or turned into vampires. It's at this point that Nightwing kills Bruce, revealing himself to be the one who killed Mary Queen of Blood to become the new Lord of all vampires. With the Justice League and Bat Family decimated, Dick calls on his army to make its move. In a matter of hours, metahuman vampires destroy all seats of political power, burn all rainforests, and destroy all crops. The smoke and ash blocks out the sun, plunging the earth into an eternal night. Some might call it a final night. (laughs) By the time the rest of the heroes rally together to start fighting back, it's already too late. Months pass. And uh, one of humanity's only remaining sanctuaries is the bottle city of Kandor, which has been buried deep underwater and requires the services of both Killer Croc and the Atom to ferry people in and out of the city. Green Arrow and Swamp Thing went to liberate one of the many human farms the vampires used to produce food. Grifter is also there. Steel, Black Manta, Jaina of the Wonder Twins, and Supergirl would travel by boat to a launch site where the vampires are deporting aliens back to their home worlds. <laughs> Killing all aliens that live on Earth would risk making enemies throughout the universe, so instead Nightwing ordered them all to just be sent, o- sent home unharmed. The hero's plan is to use the rocket to launch Supergirl above the ashy clouds so she can get her powers back and then use them to clear out the sky and bring back the daylight. Barbara Gordon, Harley Quinn, Black Canary, Frankenstein, and Damien sneak back into Gotham to assassinate Nightwing and get help along the way from members of the extended Bat family that's been lying in wait all this time, preparing for Barbara to make her move. Surprisingly, all three plans work, except for one thing. Barbara didn't just kill Dick. She allowed him to turn her into a vampire and then encouraged him to feed on Harley, who had been injected with Luther's blood. By becoming a vampire and killing the vampire Lord, Barbara effectively installed herself as the new Lord of all vampires. She declares the war to be over and names herself as the final casualty. 
as the story ends, humanity is still at rock bottom, scraping to survive in a world ruled by vampires, with the one beacon of hope being Supergirl, who has begun clearing the sky and bringing back the sun. Happy birthday, Mark. The vampire who has everything. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, you might notice that that around issue 6 of 12, the details kind of kind of faded away from my my uh summary and that's that's kind of indicative of my, of my experience with this event because like i think the first couple issues were like there was legitimately something there yeah mm-hmm. and as we got by the time we got to the vampires making their move it's like they flipped a switch and turned it into a whole different story and then the the second half of the story is almost in fast forward. Oh yeah, because it's basically like, okay, uh, we get the reveal of who the real king is or whatever, and then vampires took over the world. And then we might as we 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 kind of missed the whole like eight months later, yeah, type of thing. And I I really want to stress because I feel like we're not gonna have a lot of positive stuff to say here, but I want to stress up front. That the first issue or two of this did a really effective job at at playing with with your expectations of okay who is and is not secretly a vampire. Yep. Like we what like the opening narration to this whole series is Andrew Bennett desperately trying to reach the Hall of Justice before it's too late, and he he's explaining to all of us like he's explaining all of this to us. While we see glimpses of Green Arrow kind of stalking him from the shadows and like where the implication is that we're like, we're supposed to think, oh, man, is maybe he's all maybe Ollie is a vampire. And later on, I think in that same issue, we see the vampire members of the Legion of Doom talking about how like it's been a while since since they've checked in with Green dot 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 and then they get interrupted they were going to say lantern, but we didn't know that. We didn't see Hal's reveal yet. And it just plays directly off of the fact that they wanted us to think to be suspicious of Ollie, who was actually one of the only characters we knew we like we could definitely trust in the story at this point. So like in those first couple issues, they were like they were doing a good job of like putting a lot of characters in front of you in strategic ways to make you not, like unsure of who to trust. I mean, I agree. I, I mean, I know, I know Mark has his own feelings on all this and I'm sure he'll get to that, but like, I really did enjoy like the first six issues or so of this, but yeah, it really did go off the rails halfway through. And surprisingly, it went off the rails pretty much right after the kill Batman. <laughs> I'm sure it's partial coincidence, but before I, I delve into more thoughts on this. I would agree that the first six issues were not bad. And the four, I do feel probably the first four issues were better than the ones we did because they were still a lot more mystery. And, and it wasn't, and it wasn't as hopeless. That's, that's what makes the, that's what makes the final six issues. It's like, so I kind of thought about this. So I want, I don't know how this is going to work, but I want to go, I want to go, I want to go with it. So when I finished the final issue in this and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm just, absorbing everything that happened or didn't happen combination of the two i'm sitting there and it's like i'm just thinking 
and I'm trying to make sense out of all this. And like, I'm kind of getting like tunnel vision because I'm just staring ahead. And then kind of like I have a moment of clarity. It's like there's 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 an epiphany like the this Moses parts the Red Sea. Everything becomes clear about how probably 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 this how this all went down. And it was kind of like Tynan had this idea and he and he made this pitch to D.C. And they read it and it's and then they and they called him or maybe they zoomed him because everybody likes zooming. And it's like, hey, Jim, can we call you, Jim? It's like, you know, we, we know we kind of we see where you're going with this and we kind of like it. You know, it's bleak. It's hopeless. It's pointless to a certain extent. But we think you can do better. So here's this number and we want you to call. And when Robert Venditti picks up, he can fine tune the act of taking a really interesting concept and story beat with some good points. And he can get you to the point where you get to the end. It's so depressing that not only does it make you second guess your comic book buying choices and your interest in maybe reading comic books at all, but it makes you reevaluate your whole life choice and everything you do in your life. It's like I sat there when I'm all kidding aside when I and it's like it's like they just it's like a tease and a tease and a tease that something's going to turn around. Oh, this hope. Oh, this hope. Oh, this hope. And I actually, I'll give you credit. I was so, I guess I was so checked out by the, by the last issue. I actually had forgotten that there was any payoff with Luther's blood. Cause I actually thought, cause I, I was going to mention the fact that was there any payoff with that? And then I, then when Dan mentioned it, it was like, Oh yeah, that's what they poisoned. That's what they poisoned Nightwing with, but that still wasn't much of a payoff. It's, I don't know. It was bleak. It was, they tease you, they tease you. Oh, Supergirl's a hope. Supergirl's a hope. Oh, she's going to get killed. Oh, no, she doesn't get killed. Oh, she might get killed. No, she doesn't. So you think something's going to happen. It's like, and at the end of the day, is this like a 12-issue setup just to friggin' do DC versus Vampires 2? Check, please. I don't think so. <laughs> so cool cool things, cool moments aside, I think the I do agree the first six issues were better. It did kind of lose focus, I think, in, in, the, in the final half. And even some funny, quote unquote, moments like, hey, we have to take a whiz on Swamp Thing to like rehydrate him. I I don't think that was really worth the journey, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, the the first six issues were so much better than the second six that after I finished issue six, I forgot the series existed until last week when I had to go get and read issues seven through 12 to talk about them with you. <laughs> and and I apologize, Dan. If I really thought it was going to be this bad. Uh, it's may- fine. I'll bill you. <laughs> maybe we would have, maybe we would have just done some multiversal retcon where like we try to make it, we, we firmly stuck to the fact that we never discussed any of the previous four issues. Well, it's in, and I've been thinking about what you've been saying about how like bleak it is. And the weird thing is, like, I, I absolutely agree with you. There's, like, a bleak hopelessness that hangs over all this. But I don't necessarily think that this story thinks it's hopeless. Because, like I said, like, three bands of superheroes go off on their missions and all three of them succeed. And the final panel of this story is Supergirl bringing sunlight back to the world. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, you know what? I can see how when you're writing out a script, that will, that sounds like 
a hopeful ending where humanity is has a has a another chance to bring this all back but it's like like all that seems to have changed really is that i guess the vampires aren't going to actively be hunting people anymore maybe i i don't like like i don't actually know what Barbara replacing Dick is going to do to make any of this better, unless she's going to try and dial things back to how they were under Mary queen of blood. But it feels like it's too far gone to do that now. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like, I think that they think this is a more hopeful ending than it is. I guess that's possible. It's again, this was, it was a, conceptually there were some cool things in this especially in the beginning of this story and then it did i think probably the seeds of it going off the rails were the whole hal and wonder woman turn into the dark side thing and then turning superman to the dark side and all this and all that and it's like i don't know it just it just got to the point and it's weird it, it it's like i think when batman got when batman got killed and you realize that, oh, he's he's really dead. He's not hanging on. Half, even, like, maybe by issue eight or nine, part of me still expected, like, some kind of, like, cyborg Batman to show up. <laughs> but it's like, wow, that Bat family, man, they really screwed you in this one between Dick and, and then Damien gets turned. But, he's, but surprisingly, Damien's trying to work with them just because it was Nightwing. So maybe it isn't that surprising, but it just, it's so it's kind of in character. And then Barbara's kind of douchey enough to end up screwing, you know, in her own way, she screws up the plan. If she had, as opposed to just sticking to the plan, unless it's kind of like the idea of if she's in charge, like you said, maybe, maybe if she's in charge, then she can kind of pull it back. Kind of like the way in, cause I watched this the other night, Lord knows why, uh, kind of like in rise of Skywalker when Palpatine <laughs> was trying to get Ray, to, to do what he wanted because then she'd be in control of the fleet. So then if she wanted to have them stop attacking everybody, she could do it because it'd be hers. So it's kind of, so, so it might be something similar to that where Barbara figured just by killing him, I'm not a vampire. So they're going to kill me anyway. But if I'm, but as a vampire, if I kill him, then all of a sudden, basically, Hey, I step up to the big chair and then I can have more influence until well, that's, that's something I wanted to ask both of you because by the end of this, like I was left wondering, like, was this Barbara's plan all along? Like when she was in in Candor and decided, all right, it's time to go to Gotham. Was she all like like she def she made a point to not leave without bringing Harley with her, and she knew exactly what Harley's blood could do. Was her intention from the very beginning to kill Dick and replace him? And if so, was that? Just based on the information we're not given, I don't know if Barbara was always intending to become the new Lord of Vampires. I don't know if that was like altruistically motivated. I don't know if we're supposed to see this as Barbara's villain turn. Like, I don't know what what her becoming the Vampire Lord means. I mean, it had to have been her intent if she brought Harley along. I mean, like... She let she she was having the dream and everything, and she let Dick bite her. Yeah, I I see where you're going with it, because I do think I when I was again, maybe because I just read it at one time. And at that point, I think I think I was kind of getting the vibe that this was not going to end in any kind of positive way. And 
I was kind of, I'm not going to say it was boring because it wasn't, but I was, but the journey, the journey was, it was becoming clear. The journey was, was the destination wasn't going to be worth the journey that maybe I kind of like clocked out a little bit, but I will admit that when I was reading it, I don't think I was 100% sure that bar that it, we see how it turned out. So it's easy to say, Oh yeah, she was just playing along and this was her plan. But in the heat of the moment, I certainly didn't feel that that's what, that she was in control. But then again, that that would be the selling point because she wouldn't want Dick to think that she was in control either. But I think there's a little ambiguity. I think that I think there's some some middle ground to debate, but probably. But again, hey, there's that there's that tease for that sequel we don't care about. But that's if there ever was one, we probably would find out for sure if that was because I'm sure there'd be some some dialogue with somebody that in which she would talk about her plan or why she did what she did. But I don't know. Yeah, but my least favorite thing about how this whole thing ended is that it didn't end at all. And it yep. felt like we should be picking up issue 13 a month later. Like, there was nothing final about any of this. Like, I don't know how popular DC vs. Vampires actually was. Like, presumably it did okay since they put out all these, like, one-shots and tie-ins and stuff half at, the, at, like, the halfway point. But everything about the final issue of this series it's just it's just the end of, <laughs> yeah it, it's literally just the the end of the latest issue so that they can do more later and i don't know maybe they maybe they wanted to leave kind of a question mark on that ending because so like oh we could come back and do more if we wanted to but you know, who knows, but at least we gave it this kind of, like, like this may as well, the final panel may as well have had the end question mark, like, at the bottom of it. Like, what is, this is not an ending. I just, I, I think they also compound things by making this thing confusing as hell. Because, not only do we kind of get the, we're getting details and details and details for, like, one through six, and then it kind of fast forwards on itself quite a few times in the final six issues. But also, they kind of fuck with the intent of all of this because of, I mean, you get the idea throughout the beginning of this that once you're turned, like some some sort of switch is thrown in your head and you're not really yourself anymore. You may have all your mem- kind of like Black Lanterns, right? Like they had all their memories and stuff, but they're intense. They're, they're, they're not really the same person anymore. But then you get Damien's situation. And he's doing things for himself. And then you get a punchline situation. And yeah, Carter is a dick and he's doing his thing with Ollie or whatever. But even that conversation doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense based on what we're supposed to know about these vampires. Mm-hmm. And they they really, you know, and, and I think that's unlike other genres of storytelling or, or, or rather um, tropes of storytelling. Um, you with vampires and creatures like vampires, you really have to set up the rules in which these characters are governed by and stick to it. That's the only way the story will make sense. At least some semblance of sense is if you set rules to what this is all supposed to be. That's why Anne Rice's vampires, I think work so well. There's really nothing other than Lestat's kind of 
you know, um, main character energy that lets him talk to devils and gods and shit like that. Other than that, the rules that govern Anne Rice's vampires are all very much the same and consistent from novel to novel to novel. And I don't know, as I haven't experienced either books or movies, but I hear much the same thing can be said about Twilight and so on and so forth. These things are successful because, among other things, they also have rules in which bind them. The rules seem to just be scatterbrained here. Like they, they felt like they were going a certain direction with it. Like, and I think Mark, I remember you and I were talking about some of those rules. It's like, it seems the type of vampires we're playing with are this, this, and this. And like, we're trying to figure that out, but then they kind of just throw that away halfway through. And that doesn't do anything to help the story. Well, that's, no, you just, no. okay. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, 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 my point is going back to something you said previously, but, but I, but I remember it. So go ahead, Dan, go on. Well, like that's the big thing. I mean, look, we, we have said many times already that the first half of this series was way better than the second half. But I, the, the first time around, I read those first six issues monthly as they came out, and I reread them all in one sitting for this. And I have to tell you, when you read it all in a short span of time the flaws become way more apparent and little things little quirky things that were always there but couldn't bother me because they were spaced out just like just jump out and like after reading all 12 issues of this thing the biggest question i was left with is how do powers work like I, you can count on one hand the number of times in twelve issues that this story cares whatsoever about how anyone's superpowers work. That means superheroes. That means vampires. It is, it is the exact opposite of what you expect. You expect that okay, you're going to you're going to put Superman in your story. Well, that here's what Superman's abilities are. And that is going to factor into what he can or cannot or will or will not do in the narrative we are placing him in. This goes backwards. This says, okay, we're putting Superman in our story and his powers will work however the hell will make our narrative go forward in the way we decided it should go forward. And it's like that for every single character, hero, villain, vampire, non-powered human, period. And like the 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 tie-in I wanted to complain about really quickly was DC vs. Vampires Killers, which was the like not literally nothing important happens in it except hey Harley gets injected with the Lex blood and that makes her blood into vampire poison, which I can't imagine is how blood works, but whatever. In that story, Harley is walking around with Solomon Grundy and Clayface as her bo- her bodyguards. And they run into Vampire Dr. Midnight and Vampire Mr. Terrific, who both instantly kill Grundy and Clayface. And then Harley turns around, physically overpowers them, and stakes them, and they die. Which makes no sense, because, okay, even if we're going to, to go with the idea that becoming a... Like, taking a regular human body and turning it into a vampire makes it into someone who can effortlessly kill villains on the level of Grundy and Clayface, that would mean that in order to kill them, Harley 
was stronger than someone who could kill Grundy and Clayface with her bare hands. And that's the exact same level of consistency with powers and scaling and all that stuff that we see throughout this entire 12 issue story. And it's, it is like when you sit down and try to read all of it in one or two big shots, it can be really annoying at best and infuriating at worst because how, how do, how does that, how is any of this supposed to work? I don't understand. I don't understand why anyone would want to turn a Kryptonian into a vampire because even if you're going with the whole, oh, their their bodies are are a car on a tank of gas with their solar power reserves, they can never recharge. So you're going to keep them around to use them for a while, I guess, and then let them just be normal vampires or kill them? Because they can't go in the sun, they can't get their powers back. Why would you ever have them do anything until it was absolutely necessary? Why is Power Girl one of the random heroes guarding Gotham? Why is Superman flying around the world doing all this stuff? Like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's at first, like when you see something like, oh, Hal can effortlessly kill this like super wizard in the first couple issues, even though Green Lantern Rings shouldn't be able to work on magic. Oh, okay, you know what? Maybe we can we can we can throw him a bone that one time. But then it just kept pushing that snowball further and further and further down the hill. Yeah, uh, what I was going to say before was you're right about how how issue 12 read that to say it's anticlimactic is, you know, is an is an understatement, because I literally thought the same thing you did at first. It's like, I know this is only 12 issues. You know, it's like because Chad uploaded those the final uh, like from seven on and I read them all on one clip. And it's like, I know this is the last issue, but it doesn't feel like it's the last issue. It feels like there should be another one. <laughs> is literally something missing here. And then as much as it may have pointed out the flaws in reading this all in one time, I just would imagine how much more disappointing this ending would have been if you spent all this time for like 12 months building up to this. And then you get this issue. And then it's like, wow, I put all this time and effort into seeing how this ended. And this is what we got. One other thing about the ending that I didn't really understand and I mean, I'm look, I get why the heroes would want to have Supergirl back fully charged and everything. But at the end of their mad dash to get her above the ash cloud so that she could fly around and disperse the 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 soot cloud or whatever, suddenly they bring in Mary Marvel to go rescue her from the exploding rocket. And I'm just sitting there looking at the page, unable to understand why they couldn't just have Mary Marvel fly up and clear the sky. <laughs> because when Supergirl does it at the in the last panel of the story, she's she's just doing the thing where she's flying really fast and in her wake the the clouds are parting. What like Mary could just do that. So like I I mean and then then you could get Kara her powers back on the ground. So like, I don't know. I there's there's not a good reason. It was just like it was like one last really dumb thing that made me like just made my my head hurt a little bit. And it's that it's that thing of like, well, we don't care what powers do. This is the function of this character in this story. So therefore, their powers do this. 
Yeah, I will say though that there, I, I, not not in a specific effort to uh, make sure we're focusing on positives to balance things out, but actually some positives I noticed about this story. A couple of interesting choices I thought were made, as ridiculous as peeing on uh, Swamp you know, Thing. Swamp Thing was. It's an interesting idea to sneak him in. The idea of the last refuge of survivors being the bottle city of Candor and using the atom to get people down into there. That's really cool and interesting. That was, that was a really good idea. Yeah. And uh, the idea to uh, it's Jan, right? Yes. Jana, right? Jan, Jana. Yeah. Of, of the wonder twins, twins, her brother dying somehow gives her his powers as well. So she's able to combine the two um, into like water animals or something. That's really, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, there's this there's this one really cool moment where she say I think it was Supergirl who she saved from drowning by turning into water, going into Supergirl's lungs and blocking real water from getting in while mm-hmm. also trying to give her whatever oxygen was in the the Jaina water. And it's like, OK, this, they are thinking about this sometimes. And when they do, it's pretty cool. Yeah, 100 percent. And I thought it, I thought it worked very well for a lot of the story um, just to have these moments. But then there's also moments that you just, and maybe you had to read the, the mini series, which I have, but I haven't read yet. Um, but Constantine's whole crew and their intent and their, what they were supposed to be doing this whole time. I had no idea. I had, every time we got to that part of the story, um, I was just utterly lost. I don't know what their purpose was. I don't know what their goals were. I don't know how they were trying to accomplish it. Um, because at the end of the story, you just end with Ollie and Grifter and Swamp Thing. And then you uh, end with, you know, Steel and, and his team with Supergirl and Mary Marvel and stuff like that. And there's not really anything involving these magic characters we've been randomly focusing on here and there. So there were, there's this, this whole series. First of all, I love the art in a whole lot of this. There were points where it kind of got a little too sketchy and deteriorated for me. But for the most part, I, I really enjoyed the art in this. And there were moments, like I said, in the story that I really enjoyed. But there was just so much uncertainty about what was happening here and why in a lot of different pages that I think I think the bad out outbalanced the good. Yeah, I would have to say that's true. Uh, and, and obviously, as we've all agreed upon, that the the bad quotient just kept arising once we got past issue six and we got to the the back nine of the series that it was much harder to pick out pick out positives and also some of that's just war of attrition too because literally you're killing you've killed off so many major characters at that point that you are dealing with a whole lot of b-tier characters to a certain extent jammed in here to try to uh fill the gaps and also you know a lot of them are just destined to be cannon fodder anyway because they keep killing every they keep killing people off left and right. I do. I do think it was it was a pretty good steel story for what it was worth. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of a pleasant that was kind of a pleasant surprise. And I did I did like I did like the stuff as they were trying to get to Australia. That I did like the stuff between you know the fake Black Manta who is Mara, and the and just the relationship with all, everybody everybody on the ship. I thought I thought. That was that was kind of cool. I did, and of course the 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 ever popular Lobo being Lobo 
you know, being a dick. And then it's like, well, yeah, I'm kind of doing the right thing just because, hey, it makes it more interesting. That kind of thing. It's like, I don't know about that either. It worked in their favor, I suppose, for the most part. But that, I mean, that, I didn't really like the Lobo subplot all that much because I don't like him. But it, it, I don't know if levity is the right word. There's very little levity in this because it's so dark. But, but again, in a way, it's just like rubbing salt in the wound too, because it, anything to give you a little bit of false hope that you're going to get an ending in which the good guys might actually win when all along it looked like the good guys were going to lose, but it, but they kind of like really were doubling down on, Oh, we got to, this is the plan and we have a plan and we think we can do this and we're going to do that. And then they kind of tease you along the way. Just so it's, it's like a Terminator three ending, but it doesn't, it's, but it still doesn't work because it's like, they just Terminator three's ending works. If you think it works, it's because they just play on the tropes we expect Without, without upping the ante so much, like telling you, oh, we're going to make it, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. No, we're not. But this series in the last six issues, especially just kind of every time you, every time you think all the hope is going to be gone, hey, they, a little bit survives and they, and their plans coming together. And guess what? At the end, I also don't get the whole, oh, Barbara Gordon's the queen of the vampires and there's no one left to challenge me. Why the hell can't Wonder Woman challenge her? Or why wouldn't she want to? Why is everybody so naturally subservient? I'm not quite sure about that either, especially from a power set perspective. Sorry, I, I think again, it's hard to it's hard to make this this claim because we don't know anything about what they're actually doing with the rules of vampires. But one of the rules of vampires is sort of like a queen bee sort of alpha situation. So it may be that Dick absorbed the blood of the alpha or something like that, and that's what's now in Barbara. At some oh, because point of the, in because, these... oh, because of the feed, the feeding off of. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah I can yeah. see that. Sorry, Dan. At, at some point in these issues, somebody did point out that the vampires follow a rigid, like hierarchy, like power structure. So, like, I don't know, like maybe like the only reason Barbara was willing to to dethrone Dick is because she she wasn't one of them yet. Possibly. I mean, I will give them this compliment. Like, I think that they came up with two pretty good explanations for how a vampire could walk around in the daylight and be fine. You know, first being, you know, Hal has a Green Lantern ring and can make it filter out UV light. And the second being that, hey, if you if you capture starfire and drink some of her blood it'll give like like she is a solar battery too so she can give you like temporary immunity that fades away over a little bit of time i didn't catch it that's what they were doing with starfire yeah i think it was when um when dick was like right before dick killed tim He's like, oh, you should you paid so much attention to your bat family. You should have paid attention to your other family. It's just a little a few drops of Starfire's blood goes a long way. It, it doesn't last very long. But, you know, I also like that they pulled some obscure characters from the DC universe for this. I mean, freaking Wild Dog is part of one of their one of the little crews here in issue seven, which is yeah. which is strange. I mean, he doesn't last very long, obviously. Um, but the fact that he's on mission or whatever, that's interesting. They also, um, I forget the name of the character, but they also, uh, at the place where, uh, where Carter is, you know, ruler of all over there, that, that kind of, um, 
internment camp or yeah, whatever. Blood farm. Yeah, the blood farm. The big purple dude or whatever. What was his name? What did he say his name was? I'm trying to find it. Oh, I don't. I don't remember. Was that a real guy? I don't even remember that guy. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a character from the DC universe um, called, and I can't remember. I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up the thing now. But that like just the the amount of characters that they use for this freaking Buana Beast is a part of this at one <laughs> yeah. point, um, which I think is interesting. The the reveal that Manta is Mara is cool. Um, that's really interesting to me as well. Um, the the they they definitely plumbed the the DC universe as a whole for this thing and just had fun with it. And, uh, and, and that was really cool. Um, Oh, his name is loose cannon. Wow. Um, never heard of that guy. That sounds have you oddly ever, familiar though. Have you ever read a story from the nineties called DC bloodlines? That's what I mean. I don't remember reading no, it myself, no, I but I do. I think that. I, that's why I think I know the character. Cause I do remember it. Um, very, um, I swear to God, this is, this is just purely coincidence, but I did just unbox the, uh, 1993 Skybox DC Bloodlines trading card series. And I just finished editing that video tonight to go up tonight as we record this. So that's the only reason I knew who Loose Cannon was. That's, this was written for you, Chad. Yes, clearly. Happy birthday to Chad. Sorry, Mark, your time is over. I've 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 never yep. read I've never read Loose, uh, uh, DC Bloodlines despite being a big DC fan. I have no interest in reading Bloodlines. To me, Bloodlines is quintessential. Like if there is anything DC comics related that is quintessential 90s, it's DC Bloodlines. Uh, and I'm talking bad 90s from everything I've heard about. It's not Mullet Superman or Electric Blue or Electric Red or any of that stuff. It's is bloodlines <laughs> and I want no part of it, but uh, I unboxed this, the trading card series anyway. So that's who I, why I knew uh, recognized the name loose cannon. And so, he'll always hold a special place in your heart now. Yeah. So head on over to our uh, lantern cast vids, YouTube channel. As you guys hear this, there's a new video over there for you guys. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just, like I said, the art was really great. Um, I, I do like how, Look, Ollie is successful, but he kind of knew this was a suicide mission going in, essentially. You got that feeling from him. But I really did like how they made him stick to his guns. He's like, I cannot put up with the idea of people just being farmed like this and successful or not, or, you know, whatever percentage of success I could have for this. I do not care this cannot be allowed to continue without someone giving it a try and yeah. trying to stop this. And um, as much as I, 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 you in these stories, in these big events and stuff like that, you can see the bigger picture. We have to all rally together. We need every last man to try and do this. It also really makes it that much more of a personality moment of a character moment for someone to go, look, I agree with you. I agree that what you're trying to do is important, but I cannot let this go, not because I'm stubborn, but because it is unequivocally not the right thing. And somebody has to do something about it, win, lose, or draw. I, I agree with with you about all that. I just, I feel like this was the wrong place for it. Like, if they were going to have a bunch of spin-offs and tie-ins to this this series, 
why wasn't this the launching point? We have three sets of heroes going off to do three totally unrelated missions. So how come the climax of this of the main book is all three of those things happening and never really paying off in relation to each other instead of just giving the main book a clear focus on one thing and here's DC versus Vampire Green Arrow where he gets a three or four issue miniseries where it's the events of his pl- his subplot but expanded upon a little more and given room to breathe. I like I would have loved like I think Mark said earlier like like the the steel black manta supergirl jaina storyline in like the like the whole like on the boat to australia like what that was pretty good and i agree and i wish i cared more about the mara reveal but it came out of nowhere because she hasn't been in this story until that reveal happened so imagine how much better that arc could have been if it had more pages to be a thing or if these characters had been have been like more fleshed out up to that point. And I don't know, it it's just it felt like trying to put them all in and I don't like it when there's tons and tons of tie-ins and I like how how modern event series have been minimizing the number of tie-ins they do. But I in this case I think it would have helped to have branched these things off into their own mini series instead of all being on top of each other and like like making the whole thing feel like a bunch of loose threads that went off in their own direction without ever tying back in. That's, I mean, those that that's a good point in general. I but no, now that we know how this ended, it kind of in a way it's probably good that we didn't invest any more time reading any more spinoffs and miniseries because <laughs> this Maxi was definitely this kind of it also kind of reminded me of what I guess how the original version of National Lampoon's Vacation was supposed to end, in which they never actually got the Wally World. <laughs> so so if you think have you have you you kind of like the whole point was as horrible as that trip was eventually they got to where they wanted to go and it somehow it seemed worth it at the end and but that was not the original version it's like hey the the, the journey's horrible and guess what we never even get to the destination that might make it better so screw you that that's kind of what this is like it's like the destination is like not worth the journey and even though there's some cool moments in the journey that's why i kind of did the robert venditti joke thing because the fact that conceptually there are cool things in here and there are cool moments in here but if you want to talk about not being able to stick the landing it certainly looked like there was that little bit of it's like maybe maybe tying in with perfectly good at, at, at like landing with a thud on his own but if not maybe they had, there was that little bird whispering in his ear this is how you make something really end poorly <laughs> oh, one thing that i think did end pretty well though was Hal. Like the scene between him and Ollie before Ollie, you know, puts the the wood the wooden arrow through his heart, like that. It was just one page of like this really honest dialogue between them, and it was, I don't know. I I thought it was like a like as maybe it's just by the standard of this book, but I thought that was a a really moving death scene. I do like the conversation, which, of course, I think Ali references later on when he's with someone else when he's talking to them. But I think I think because I'm kind of like Ali shooting Hal out that it probably didn't have as much of an effect on me. 
<laughs> been there, done that, but which is probably part of the reason why they why they did it. But I think that took a that's just me. That took away probably a little bit of the enjoyment of that, but it's appropriate based on who was left that that would be the one that would kill Hal. And plus, that's something that he's been dreading and trying to avoid ever since he and he and Bruce kind of teamed up. Like there, like at one point during the fight in the Batcave, Ollie shoots Hal but misses his heart, and Ollie's like. Like, I missed, and Bruce was just like, you don't do that. He's like, it's Hal. It's like, this was like a line that he couldn't let himself cross until that moment, and after he does it, he's just not the same. Yeah. Do we think there's going to be a volume two of this? Like, I think it would have been announced by now, right? I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just ended recently, right? Did it? I think, I thought so. Oh no! You know what it is the the trade for part two just came out, so it it ended a little while ago. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know it went on hiatus for a minute, but I don't think issue twelve didn't come out like that long ago. No, because I mean there was there was like a gap of a few months between issues six and seven. That's when they put out all those dumb one shots, and probably started up that other mini series. But uh, yeah, issue twelve came out at the end of December, and the volume two hardcover comes out on April 4th. So been over for a few months. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they put enough behind this and did enough extra stuff that there will likely be a continuation at some point, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced that it's gone. (laughs) So look forward to lantern cast covers, DC versus vampires volume two for Mark's next birthday. (laughs) This this will be this will be on Chad's actual firing day. <laughs> That's the trade-off. We'll do it, but you picks your poison. All right. Did we have anything else about DC versus vampires we wanted to talk about? The only other note I have is that I wish they would stop trying to make Grifter happen. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Like I get it. He's like he's one of your Wildstorm guys, and you want to prop that that franchise up or whatever. But like. He shows up in here and he's like some kind of like badass with some guns and he show he every now and then he'll show up in like a Batman book and he'll fight Batman to a standstill because he's grifter. Isn't he cool? And the answer is no, please put him in Wildcats or something. Just just kind of this isn't working. Trying to make grifter mesh with the rest of the DC universe isn't working. And but maybe you know what? Maybe there's people who love Grifter and are like, this is perfect. This is where he's always belonged. And if that's you, then I am happy for you. But I just he he does the character does nothing for me. I I agree with you. That said, although it wasn't my favorite part of the book, I think this is the most I've ever enjoyed Grifter. Which is not really saying much, but. I did kind of like his banter with Ollie. The banter was worth it for one of the only things in the book that that made me chuckle a little bit, which was when they kept making jokes about peeing on Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing just like looks deadpan at the reader and says this this line of jokes displeases me. <laughs> and I'm like, me too, Swampy buddy, me too. <laughs> and that we will never speak of this again. <laughs> All right. What else do we have to talk about tonight? 
Well, Chad, you should be happy that the final stake was put in the uh, Patty Jenkins Star Wars movie, <laughs> yeah. which we knew was hap- which we knew was going to happen anyway. That was it might be slightly more surprising. Not maybe not considering where the MCU is, but that Feige has bigger issues to deal with in doing a Star Wars movie at the moment. But the Feige move, the Feige movie is kaput. And I thought there was something else from DC that. Wait, you you said Patty Jenkins in the Feige movie? What? The Feige Star Wars movie that he was supposedly developing. That's also kaput. Oh, I didn't know about that. I just the the Patty Jenkins one that. That sucks only in that I was actually very curious based on her little teaser video about what that movie would be. Yeah, that's another one of those things like the uh, the whole hierarchy of power is about to change promotional stuff that really looks bad in retrospect, considering how things how things turned out. But yeah, so only seems only the Taika Waititi Star Wars movie has yet to be completely. That's still on the surface. It's still going to happen, but. This we'll is think. why I, this is why I, I struggle with whether or not I like the way they handle like movie announcements now nowadays because they're telling us about all this stuff so far in advance that literally nothing is set in stone. So like like there we can promise you the world and then a few like a couple years go by you hear nothing else until you eventually hear Oh yeah, by the way, it's canceled because we just told you way, way early. Which was like, one of the which was one of the things that seemingly Chapek was actually doing correct because Chapek is the one who kind of like reined in Kathleen Kennedy and said, "You're not making any more announcements about Star Wars movies until <laughs> until pretty much this thing is like you got the script, you got the cast, and you're about to start shooting, and maybe that's gonna that that." Uh, mantra is still going to continue under Iger, and of course, you know the rumors are Kathleen Kennedy is going to be out the door soon anyway, especially after Indiana Jones comes out. But that's but part of their problem. It's like how many different Star Wars projects have have been announced and either are completely shelved or the direct, you know, the directors left or got pushed out the door. It's like it's probably like three quarters of all their projects have had upheaval. There are very few. There are very few projects that haven't had a lot of serious upheaval. So, yeah, I think especially with Star Wars, that that's that's a that's a problem. Less of an issue with the MCU, though. There's been some a little bit of that in the MCU. But I just figured since that kind of just that was kind of like a big topic over the last like day or so about the the, that was Star Wars movies getting the, the plug pulled. I thought that was. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it makes me miss the days where the the MO was to announce a movie, make that movie, and then if that if people like that movie, announce a sequel to that movie and then make the sequel. <laughs> like j- like we got the whole like supposedly what James Gunn has told us is less than half of like wave 1 of the DCU or whatever. I don't want to hear a single word about any project beyond the projects they've already announced. I just want James Gunn to go make a goddamn Superman movie so they can come out and hopefully be good. And then that will make me want to see the next movie. Like if if these plans are far enough down the road that they are so easily scrappable, then I don't want to I don't want to be made to care about them 
until they are something tangible. Yeah, I think I think that I mean that makes sense because of I mean let's just use an example and we can use this as an opportunity to talk about it if we want. The uh Mutant Mayhem trailer that just dropped uh the other day because like it, I love TMNT. I've talked about it on the show several times. I would have definitely added TMNT Mutant Mayhem to my top 5 for of of movies I'm looking forward to this year. But honestly, up until the trailer came out, all we really knew was we heard Seth Rogen's making a TMNT movie. But like, that's really all you heard. There wasn't a whole lot of news out about it. It was just like kind of there. And then all of a sudden the trailer's here and it wasn't really real, a real possibility until the trailer was here. Like going through the list of movies that were, you know, supposedly supposed to come out in 2023. I even saw it and I was like, okay. But is it really going to happen this year? I haven't heard anything about it. You know, that kind of a thing. So, like, you're you're right. They do do – they're starting to get into this habit of announcing things and your your whole outlook on – and even ideas of looking forward to it are just utterly trashed until you see something of consequence released. Yeah, like, I didn't even – like, the the way I found out that movie even existed was I listened to you – talk about like your most anticipated movies of the year and i was in there going they're making a ninja turtles movie what huh okay i guess they're making that and then the trailer dropped it was the first time i had seen anything and it's like i'm like wow i was blown away by this like awesome looking animated movie that looks fun as hell and it's like hey what if spider verse was turtles and now i want to see this but if like if they had told me four years ago, like, uh-huh, and we're going to make a Ninja Turtles movie that is Spider-Verse but Turtles, I, I okay, I guess. I don't know. Get back to me when you're when you're doing it. Yeah, we 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 did hear that Seth Rogen was making a Turtles movie a long time ago, much in the same way we heard kind of nebulously Chris Pratt is doing a Mario Brothers movie. And didn't really hear much until the trailer came out it was just one of those that's a weird choice i guess we'll wait and see and then the trailer hit and people are like oh my god same thing with mutant mayhem yeah. which by, by the way i i love you mentioned the spider-verse stuff yes um there's some of that stuff that's just weird to me um but this movie i i think at this point the stuff that i may consider odd about this film it's just me being a 35, almost 36 year old individual. And while there's a lot of nostalgia hits for me, it's not really quote unquote meant for me. Yeah. Seth Rogen did it and he grew up on it the same way I did and so on and so forth. So there's going to be a lot more than your average amount of nostalgia here and trying to, you know, uh, grab onto the stuff that you would recognize and love like the turtles, not just having colored masks, but having colored bandanas around their, 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 um, their elbows and their wrists and stuff like that. The look of bebop and Rocksteady, the, the, uh, the robe that the splinters wearing, like so on and so forth. That's all pulled straight from like the animated, the original animated series and stuff like that. But some of the choices that are made or the jokes or whatever, that this is also I have to remember actively that this is also supposed to introduce the turtles or continue on the turtles for a generation that is not me. 
Yeah, so. this is this is a Nickelodeon yep. animated movie that it, like it is it is taking a property that has always been for children and is making it into a movie for children. Yeah. And like the like you people like you and me who grew up with it and love animation and love the way that this animation looks and have nostalgia for the turtles, we can still watch it and get something out of it without it being explicitly for us. And that's fine. Which I will say for the Turtles fans, well, since we're talking Turtles, I did go to the Hill Country Comic Con this past weekend. And one of the groups of celebrity guests that were there, it's a small con, but they did manage to get the original voice cast for the 80s TMNT series. Uh, all four Turtles and April. Oh, cool. Um, I could not afford um, signatures from all of them, but... I was lucky enough a few years ago, my brother-in-law and my sister got me the two-pack of the NECA, Bebop, and Rocksteady figures, um, which I still have in the box. And Cam Clark, who voiced Leonardo, also voiced Rocksteady. And Barry Gordon, who um, voiced Donatello, also voiced Bebop. So... I paid for those two signatures on my NECA Bebop and Rocksteady. And so it's kind of like I get four, four characters for the price of two signatures <laughs> because Leo was my favorite as a kid and Donnie is my favorite as an adult. Um, so, uh, that's, it's really, I posted the, the image over on our Twitter account. If anybody wants to go check that out, it's really cool. But yeah, um, I got a chance and my, my brother, uh, my brother-in-law who doesn't really read comics. He loves the turtles, of course, as much as we did, you know, just growing up. But I, uh, because I heard so many good things, I, I haven't read it myself yet. I read maybe a couple of pages, but I did when it came out. I did get him the last Ronin hardcover. Mm, I want to read that, which I hear is one of the best turtle stories ever written. And uh, I got um, the guy who voiced Mikey to um, to sign the last Ronin hardcover for me. So I can give it to him. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, I'll talk about the con on another episode. <laughs> Pro- probably, probably not. Probably a little too late tonight to do it on this episode. But uh, I will have actually an episode of Creative Credit coming out. Just FYI, while I'm on the topic, I grabbed some interviews over there while I was there real quick for some local from some local creators. Um, I won't say anything more about it than that. Just there's another episode of Creative Credit coming down the pipeline. FYI. Dan, got anything to push? Mosaic. The usual. The Mos- usual. <laughs> the usual. Go the usual, everybody. Uh, Mosaic Comics. That is my mostly Green Lantern-centric YouTube channel where I just posted a massive video that I've been working on for a long time where I read every single appearance of the character Yira Sindral, a.k.a. Fatality, and thoroughly break down her entire history from Bounty Hunter to Star Sapphire and back again. Uh, it... Gave me a new level of appreciation for her. And if you like deep dives into lesser known characters, I think this video will be worth your time. And as we record this, I'm in the middle of putting together the sixth installment of my audience Q&A series. And these are always a lot of fun. And I should have that video out pretty soon. Uh, but speaking of answering questions, I was lucky enough to be a guest on episode 360 of the Dr. DC podcast where we answered a ton of listener questions about characters from all over Green Lantern history. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a good place to start with their podcast. It's a fun show. And, you know, 
it's, it's nice that they finally got somebody associated with the Lantern cast to come on and, and talk about Green Lantern with them. They, we were all happy that I could be the first one. Except for that Ragman episode I did. I yeah, don't recall that. <laughs> Neither does anyone else. That's what was going to be my point. So, so it's like the tree falling in the forest thing, even though that's a horrible analogy, because, of course, that makes a sound. <laughs> and it's, cause that's the way the world works. Who knows? Maybe uh, one day, maybe one day I'll be on. And then we then between the you and I, Dan, will probably well, shine the green light of in, and will enlighten people in the world of Green Lantern. And, and then there's the the, the ragman faction of, of D.C. So it's all yours, Chad. Chad, I promise we didn't say anything meaner about you that we wouldn't have said if you were there. <laughs> uh, so, take us home. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> Go for it. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. And yes, just email us at lanterncast at gmail.com, too, if you want our Discord information. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.